Good morning. My name is Edith, and I'll be doing today's Bible reading. So we'll be reading from Revelation chapter 21, verse 9, to chapter 22, verse 5. If you haven't got a Bible, please raise your hand. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring the splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will it anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great streets of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lights of a lamb 
or the lights of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, everyone. How good is it to be here on the last day of the year, in the last chapter of the Bible, uh, to be able to be all gathered together, uh, both of our gatherings together, full house. What an incredible moment this is for us. Um, you know, I wanted to, to finish the year on this moment because uh, at the end of the Bible, at the end of this series on light, what we see for the hope at the end of everything, right? In the last 30 years, we think about the end of all of time, there is a picture of hope, of light, and that picture is a city. Now, my name is Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at CPE Church, and some of you may know that I've spent uh, much of my time living in, uh, living in different places around the world, but uh, particularly, uh, I've spent quite a lot of time in Sydney. Uh, and the great city Sydney is, uh, I think it's one of the most naturally beautiful cities in the world, uh, Sydney Harbour. It's an absolute wonder, you know, on a beautiful day, taking the ferry out across the harbour, it is a true delight. Honestly, it's beautiful. Sydney is also a city of incredible traffic, of uh, in ridiculously expensive real estate, renting or buying. And to be honest, the Sydney hustle is so exhausting that most Sydney siders I know never really get to enjoy the city. Why? Because they're so busy and stressed and working so hard just to keep up with all the rent and everything you need to be able to live there. That's Sydney. About 10 years ago, Bonnie and I got to go and do some of that travel around Europe. Uh, so another great city, Paris. Paris, many people think of Paris as one of the great cities of the world. Uh, it's actually called the City of Lights because there's so many monuments and churches and the Eiffel Tower, everything, everything in there is just lit up because it's just beautiful and it's romantic and it's uh, this, this incredible artistic city. It's also, if you've been there, you know that it's also quite a filthy city <laughs> beneath the surface, on the subways, travel that. Uh, it's a famously snobby kind of city, and it's, well, it's full of all kinds of immorality, I would say, to put it lightly. Another city that I really, really love, Rome. Rome is called the Eternal City, right? Because you can walk around in this modern, uh, modern Western city, and yet you'd be walking past these uh, great engineering feats from the Roman Empire. So you're kind of simultaneously walking in the year 2023, and you're walking around a city that's 2,000 years old. You just think about that. You can be out there having a tea or having some gelato out as you sit next to the Roman Pantheon. Or you can be going for your morning run as you run past the Roman Colosseum. What an incredible city that is. And yet, actually, one of the things about Rome is that uh, as you start to kind of take in all the sites of the city, as you take in all these ancient ruins, it also reminds you how brutal the Roman Empire really was. How all the signs of brutality and slavery, and how this city was really built on the oppression of foreign peoples. 
See, I think cities uh, represent the, really the best and the worst of humanity. Cities at their greatest are incredible places of people and food and culture and, and all the good things that our world has to offer. And it's simultaneously a place of the worst that humanity has to offer. Right? It's, like a, it's like this little glimpse of what we could be as humanity kind of tampered with the reality of who we actually are. Now, in our series, Rays of Hope, we've been looking at this metaphor of light all the way through the Bible, from the moment that God says, let there be light, in the first few verses of the Bible, and how God spoke creation into, into the darkness of this dark void. He speaks creation into being. And we saw the hope that Jesus brings as he comes as the light of the world, the hope of the world. And in this final picture, in this final chapter of the Bible, we're going to be seeing is the darkness is banished forever by this city, this perfect city of unending light. Now, we're sitting here in the last book of the Bible, last chapter, uh, last couple of chapters of the Bible here. Uh, it's the book of Revelation. And, and what's happening in Revelation is that the Apostle John's been exiled out to this island, and it's there that he has his vision. He's given these visions from God about the end of time. Now, the technical word of this is called eschatology, all right? So, eschatology is the study of the last things. Uh, in the last parts of the Bible, here we have all these images, these pictures that are meant to give us this little snapshot of how all of time and eternity, how it all ends. Now, this is a very bizarre part, uh, bizarre kind of literature, right? It's called apocalyptic literature, Okay. Now, apocalyptic doesn't mean it's like the end of the world. Uh, apocalyptic, actually, in its real base meaning, is, is about uh, unveiling, uncovering something that you otherwise would not have known if it weren't for apocalyptic literature, something to open up the covers of, of what's really happening. And, and it's a great quote. Um, uh, the Bible Project have a great video on this. They said, the purpose of apocalyptic is very clear because a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. Okay, so as we unpack this final image, this final picture of a city, the city of light, just remember this is there to challenge, to comfort, and to give us hope in the midst of our earthly circumstances. So let's have a read again uh, uh, from Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. I'll read the first few verses out for us. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plays came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high. And he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. At the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three in the north, three in the south, three in the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So what you see in this picture of this city and this image, there's this vision that John has as he's taken up into this mountaintop, is he sees this heavenly city, this heavenly Jerusalem, come down out of heaven into the new earth. Right? Now, that's an interesting thing in itself, isn't it? So, 
heaven being the, the place where God dwells, coming down as the new Jerusalem, as the new city down onto earth. This is like the capital city, God's city of heaven. But it's not that, and we often have this picture in our head, right, that somehow, you know, we die and we go up to heaven to go and be with God. Actually, the picture in Scripture is that heaven comes down to earth. In the new heavens and the new earth, heaven, that difference between heaven and earth, that collapses. Heaven comes and it dwells amongst earth. The theologian uh, N.T. Wright says it like this, says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. What we're seeing is a whole renewal of the heavens and the earth, and that thing that separated humanity from God, from earth, from heaven, has collapsed, and they become as one. And this heavenly city, it just beams with light. The glory of God just emanating on it. Pure, pure light, just His pure glory just now covering the earth and this city, clear as crystal. And on the walls and the gates, they signify who this city belongs to. Do you notice it there? The 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In other words, this is the city of God's people. This is the final dwelling place of all God's people. Old Testament and New will dwell in the city of light. Now, as we read on, verse 15, the angel who, t- who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city and the rod with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using uh, human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And he goes on to list off all the different stones that there. They're just adorning this beautiful, beautiful city. But did you get the kind of shape? Did anyone kind of work out what kind of shape is this city? It said it was as long as it is wide as it is high. So this city that John sees is a cube. It's a cube, right? Now, that might kind of bog your mind, or the engineers and architects out there are just kind of going, well, how does that work? I mean, this city that's long, high, wide, this big cubic thing. Well, one of the things about apocalyptic scripture, apocalyptic literature, it's all symbolic. It's all kind of meant to point to something that has significance. And the, the only other perfect cubic structure in all of the Bible was the most holy place in the Old Testament temple, right? The most holy place meant to symbolize the sitting, the seated place of God, the dwelling place of God, and only the high priest was allowed to enter into the most holy place, and he would only do that once a year. So what we're seeing is that this is a city, this perfect cubic city is a city where God's presence completely fills it, and where God's people can exist and live in God's presence with Him in his most holy place. Now, there's no coincidence that everything is also a factor of 12. Did you notice that? 12, this number 12 keeps propping up. 12, or factors of 12, 12,000, or 144. These numbers keep appearing in the Bible. Now, numbers are symbolic as well. See, 12 is a sign of completeness. 
the symbol of God's complete kingdom. Here it is, as all these factors of 12. And it's plenty big as well. 12,000 stadia in length and width and height. Now, uh, uh, that equates to something like 2,200 kilometers in every dimension, okay? This is one city, 2,000 kilometers long, 2,000 kilometers wide, and 2,000 kilometers high. If you tried to put it on a little globe, this is what it would look like, okay? Uh, just imagine that as one city. And again, it starts to boggle your mind about how that actually even works. And it's made of the most spectacular materials of pure gold and pearls and, and of this kind of thing that our earthly minds just, we cannot comprehend this whole picture. In fact, there's been many people who have attempted to picture what heaven was like in different ways. Uh, a lot of the Renaissance artists drew heaven very much as this cloud-filled place, right? You might have seen kind of this kind of uh, uh, painting, but actually, even today, people are still pondering what that afterlife might look like. Is anyone a fan of this show, The Good Place? Great little show. It's a show about, uh, about heaven, this heavenly place. Now, I know the fans of the show know that The Good Place turns out not to be so good. Uh, and, and, but it's this contemporary vision of what heaven might be like, what the afterlife might be like. Uh, there's another show, it's one of our favourites, called Upload. Right? Upload's set in this uh, world in which... Uh, humanity creates the digital afterlife. You know, when your physical body breaks down and it dies, uh, you can go and join the digital afterlife. Now, I'm hoping this is going to work. It's a little uh, video trailer from that about what that, that, the digital afterlife uh, looks like. So let's see if this works out. Or's the other way. What do you want to do? Three, two, one. Upload. Hello, Nathan. Ten fingers and toes? Pretty seamless. This is the first day of the rest of your afterlife. You may find yourself living in a beautiful house. Welcome to Lakeview. Uplifting views, timeless Americana. Yes. It's 10 a.m. Breakfast is over. No! It's not even real food! New guy coming through. This one. Do I dare? Dare. Yes. Ask yourself, how did I get here? Denied. In-app purchase required. Uh. <laughs> All right, so it's a great little fun little show, kind of going, oh, well, if we had this, this perfect, we could construct the perfect afterlife. What would this digital afterlife be? Well, they said a timeless Americana. It's like this resort where all of your, all of your recreational leisurely needs are met there. Uh, unfortunately, there's still in-app purchases there. A great little joke there. You see, it's quite hard for us just to imagine what that heaven might be like, and we can try our best to kind of uh, present what we think that the perfect heavenly existence might look like. And John describes what he sees in this vision, this very symbolic picture of heaven. But one of the hard things, I think he really struggles to do that, because actually, how do our earthly minds and eyes even conceive of what this heavenly city might actually be like? 
Instead, what John does is that he now turns to the negatives. That is, not that anything's bad at this, but all the things that are missing in this city, the things that are gone from this city. This is in verse 22. He says this, I do not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you see, the first thing it says is that there's no darkness. There's no darkness. The glory of God is so bright, it just fills the city, right? It beams so far beyond, like you can imagine that glow, that little kind of, instead of just that little cardboard cube on top of it, imagine that just beaming light everywhere out across the earth. And the kings and nations are drawn there, bringing their gifts into it. It sort of sounds very much like that Christmas story of the kings bringing their gifts to Jesus. The gates don't ever need to be shut because there's no enemies. There are no threats to the city. The only things that are coming into the city is the glory of the nations as they bring their honor to, to really honor this great, the greatness of this city. What else is missing? There's no impurity, no shameful or deceitful people, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So it's exclusive. And that might be hard to hear, but it makes sense when you consider that the perfect, holy city of God can't possibly have imperfect or sinful people existing in it. In a city where there's no darkness or evil of sin, there's no room for those who who aren't clean, or should I say, who haven't been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. See, if you're new to this, you're visiting, you're not a Christian here this morning, actually what the Scriptures say and what the message of the Christian Gospel is, is that you can have your sins completely cleansed, that you can be considered as holy before God. And you can be then invited into this holy city. See, church, that's why our mission is of the utmost urgency. That these aren't just words on a little canvas here, making devoted disciples of Jesus, but actually, this is actually the eternal life-giving message of Jesus that we preach, that we bring. That should be the top of the list of things that we consider as important every single day of our lives. Now, I know that this picture, this whole everything that's going on here can be hard to fathom, can be hard to wrap our earthly minds around. But C.S. Lewis actually said something that was really helpful, I think. He says that actually, as, as much as this is hard to wrap our heads around what heaven's going to be like, he says we can't stop dreaming about it. We can't stop thinking about it. We can't stop painting it. We can't stop trying to put it in our TV shows. And he says it's because there's something innate in humanity that we all know. We're all desiring eternity. We're all made for eternity. He says this. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. 
He's saying that actually we have this yearning for something permanent, for something that's actually going to last into eternity. But as we look around our crumbling world and all the things that are so temporary in our world, we yearn for something better. And I think that is one of the great evidences that actually the Christian gospel is true because there is something in us that is yearning, that is looking for that. That we need only find it here in the words of Scripture. Now, chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Right down the middle of the river, uh, down the middle of this city, down the middle of the streets, is a river. Not a kind of, you know, musty, dusty brown colour like the Brisbane River, okay? But a clear, perfectly crystal clear river. And it's the life-giving water that flows from God. The river is the water of life. And just as the story of Scripture started with a, a tree that gave life, it finishes with a tree, a tree that's, that's now accessible to all the city's inhabitants. No longer is there any curse of death or sickness or pain, but life, abundant life to the full. You see, as we come to the end of this year, if you only flick on the news channels, they're all kind of doing their recaps of the year, all the big news stories of the year. And to be honest, all the big news stories of the year are of death, disease, war, natural disaster, political conflicts, earthquakes. You see, if you need any convincing that the curse is alive and well in our world, just flick on the news for five minutes. And as long as that curse continues, humanity will always live in the state of violence and death and tragedy, but it will not always be so. Verse 4, they will see his, God's face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, church, one of the things I look forward to most about heaven is the great reunion at the Father's great banquet celebration. There are a chance to reunite with people long lost. We have had dear friends depart this year, our brother Ray, and amongst you, many other parents and friends. And I'm not too much of an emotional person normally, but funerals will always bring a tear out of me. Funerals, I think, are the closest that we get to eternity, in fact. The moment where we're most aware of our own mortality, the brevity of life, and how important it is of the hope of heaven. You see, there is something great, going to be great about that moment, that, that this will be the forever existence. 
But actually what Scripture says here is that there's going to be something even greater than seeing our departed friends and family. And that's seeing our God face to face. The God whom we read about, the God whom we pray to, the God whom we hope to, that we will know Him, the Father who looked on our helpless, sinful state with mercy and compassion. Him that we only can see dimly as through a mirror, Paul says in Corinthians. We will see Him face to face. Him who Moses, he could only see through a veil lest he die as a sinner in the presence of a holy God. We will be able to stand in his presence. We will see him face to face. We will know our creator. Friends, I think this is the deepest longing of our souls. That we can finally experience the deepest kind of satisfaction that only comes from knowing God. Now, friends... I have to say that preaching on these chapters was, was actually really hard as a preacher because how can you quite grasp the greatness of all the picture, the hope, the glory, the, the beauty of everything that comes in these pictures? I hope that your heart is warmed by this. Instead, what I did was to go to some poets and songwriters, people who've written about this and, and, and written hymns and songs about this because I feel like they actually do a better job of this than I could ever do. Right, this is a hymn from the, the 18th century. It captures this beautifully. It says this, When my life work is ended, and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. Through the gates of the city in a robe of spotless white, He will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I shall mingle with delight but I long to meet my Saviour, first of all. Friends, those words just touch my heart in ways that I can't describe, right? Just being there to see your Saviour face, have Him welcome you into His heavenly city. See, that is the longing that nothing in this world could ever satisfy, because I was made to walk with God. So friends, let me ask you this question. What do we do with this vision of eternity? What do we do with this glorious picture of hope? What do we do with this picture that's at the end of all time as we get this little snapshot of what we will be into eternity together? Well, Jesus actually had quite a lot to say about this. Uh, oh, a little bit behind on slides. Here's some of Jesus' words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see what Jesus is kind of saying? He's saying, what would it look like, right, to just stop living for this short and temporary life that we had? 
and we gave everything for the sake of the eternity, that instead of living for the 60, 70, 80 years that we might have on this earth, that we instead live for the thousands and tens of thousands and millions of years that would have come after that. He says, don't store up treasures here on heaven. Don't put your hope on the things of heaven or the experiences of heaven. Don't have all of your worries and concern wrapped up in your earthly needs. You see, what would it look like to stop living for this short and temporary pain-stricken life that we have and to live for the heavenly city that lives for eternity, where the curse of sin is gone and there is no more darkness? So I've had a few thoughts I've been thinking about this, living with eternity in view. So I think when you're living in eternity in view, you can keep things in the right perspective, that our earthly concerns will start to diminish and the eternal concerns will dominate our thinking. Yes, you still need to work and study and plan and save and do all those things, but the level of your worrying concern for those things, well, they don't, start, they don't take on this undue importance for you. Instead, you grow in your concern for heavenly things. You grow in your concern for the lost. If this is eternity at stake, if this is, if this is the millions and millions and billions of years to be lived in fellowship with our God and Father, we would have a deep concern for those who are living only for this life, wouldn't we? And as part of that, you would give deeply to the mission, as what Iggy was talking about. We want to see more people discover the unlimited worth of knowing God. Number four, you suffer with hope. And we've seen some great examples of that this year. That as the hardships of life burden down on us, we can look forward to the hope of the heavenly city. And lastly, I think it's this, we pursue Christ daily in obedience to Him, living to please Him, living in gladness that it's His grace that has washed us clean that grants us entrance into the eternity with Christ, with Him forever. Friends, our short earthly lives will all end for all of us at a funeral in a casket, in the ground. And all of our earthly worries and concerns will all pass away. And we will go to be with our Heavenly Father forever and ever. But friends, we said that this passage would be both a challenge and a comfort and a hope. And there's one more thing I think that's here, and that this is an invitation Revelation, the last two chapters of the Bible, is an invitation. See, towards the end of this chapter, it says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. My friends, if any of you have not taken the step of accepting the invitation... Well, maybe you need to take that step today. Maybe you spent 2023 just toying with this idea, but you've never accepted Christ. You are thirsty, but you've never drunk from the living water that only He can give. You've never accepted the free gift. 
And friends, if that's you, come and speak to me or one of the other pastors or a trusted friend and start wrestling through with what that would mean. Because when we go to face our maker one day, he will look upon Jesus and see whether your faith, whether your trust was in him. And that eternity is a very, very long time. As a great hymn, Amazing Grace says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Friends, let's pray in hope, in comfort, and in praise to the God who has invited us to spend eternity radiating like the sun as part of his glorious and beautiful and perfect city. Let's pray now. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, words can't possibly do justice to the picture of heaven, of the heavenly city that comes down to earth. That, Father, for those whose sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ, you will welcome us with a smile as our Redeemer, that you will welcome us into eternity of endless joy, into the perfect city that we will enjoy with you and with each other into eternity. Father, might our hope and our focus and our vision be focused on that in 2024. And as 2023 ends, Lord, might we continue to trust in our Saviour and our Lord Jesus Christ and our eyes be focused and fixed on Him, that we might walk with Him the days of our life so that we can see Him face to face one day and, and know that the deepest longings of our soul can finally be met and satisfied in him. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, friends, we're going uh, to stay still. We're going to listen to a song that's going to be um, a bit of a night for us just to reflect on that final hope, final picture of heaven together.